Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, time to move on. Jersey City's mayor and gubernatorial hopeful takes aim at the embattled U.S. Senator and his son, making it clear he won't support Rob Menendez Jr. for re-election. The Menendez's have shown that they feel entitled to the seats and they put the Menendez's first and that's ultimately what the problem is. Also, after weeks of cash for votes claims, the contentious Hoboken City Council runoff election is tonight. Hoboken being Hoboken, it's, you know, try anything you can, win at all costs. Plus, a former Trump Bedminster Golf Club employee files a sexual harassment lawsuit, also alleging she was tricked into signing an NDA. She doesn't want to be silenced by the very people who put her in the position of being sexually harassed. And seeking reparations, efforts underway here in the state to recommend ways to repair the damage caused by slavery. What kind of reparative system does New Jersey need to build to invest in for black people here to finally be free, to thrive, free to win? NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venosi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Tuesday night. I'm Brianna Venosi. The state is in the midst of another old-fashioned political slugfest with the first punch thrown by Jersey City's mayor and gubernatorial candidate Steve Fulop saying unequivocally this week Congressman Rob Menendez Jr. should be dumped from his seat because of his father embattled senior U.S. Senator Bob Menendez's criminal charges. The harsh statement came after the powerful Hudson County Democratic Organization this week endorsed Menendez Jr. in his 2024 re-election bid and unleashed a war of words between Philip Menendez and their supporters. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan has the story. The Menendezes have shown that they feel entitled to the seats and they put the Menendezes first and that's ultimately what the problem is. Jersey City Mayor Steve Fulop fired the first salvo online tweeting, I'm not on board with supporting Rob Menendez for another term in Congress. It's time to move on. Menendez represents Jersey's 8th District in Hudson County's Democratic stronghold. He's also the son of indicted Senator Bob Menendez, who's accused of wielding his political influence in return for politics of cash and gold bars. Fulop claims Rob Menendez should denounce his own father or forfeit his seat. Did you really expect the son to condemn the, the father? Yes, yes. I think that if you are elected and working on behalf of your residents, the expectation is you will do right by your residents. The disqualifier is the fact that you've put your family interests in front of the public interests. Rob Menendez has been mostly silent about his father's indictment. The senators furiously denied the charges and refused to resign, despite calls to step down from colleagues, including Pennsylvania Democrat John Fetterman, who hired expelled Congressman George Santos for 250 bucks to record this snarky cameo message to the senator. Hey, Bobby, uh, look, I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. 
Phillips now accusing the younger Menendez of benefiting from his family connection while ducking the consequences of his family scandal. But Rob Menendez lobbed this statement back at Phillips, who's running for governor in 2025. He showed his true colors yesterday for everyone to see. Instead of addressing his policy failures and the impact they've had on Jersey City residents, Steve chose to go low. For those of us who have dealt with Steve, it's nothing new. For those across the state who he is looking to introduce himself to, you can expect more of this petulant behavior. And he says Phillips' administration has seen its own scandals. But timing is everything here. Congressman Menendez, endorsed by Hudson County's Democratic organization, faces re-election next year. This is not a battle that he needs right now. He needs to keep his head down. He needs to do the work of serving his constituents. He needs to try to keep some distance between himself and his father's problems, which is clearly not what Mayor Phillip wants to let him do. Writers Micah Rasmussen says there's no denying the bad blood between Bob Menendez and Phillip, who challenged him in a 2004 election and lost. But Phillip's assertion that Rob Menendez is basically a Nepo baby who won his seat because of dad's influence did evoke a backlash. Folks cited Phillip's support for Tammy Murphy, who won instant endorsements from her husband's formidable political allies as she seeks Senator Menendez's seat. You're talking about a front-loaded campaign, essentially, that's, that's relying heavily on the family influence. And that applies as much to Tammy Murphy yeah. as it does to Rob Menendez. Yeah. And, and there certainly is kind of a groundswell of opposition that you see. And, and I think they are questioning that relationship, and that's fair for them to do. And if she takes the approach of just solely defending uh, the governor in situations, I think she's going to open herself up to criticism. The headbutting will continue. As for the Menendez family politics, the senator's trial is scheduled to start May 6th. He adamantly refuses to resign and hasn't said whether he'll seek re-election. But his son will certainly be on the New Jersey primary ballot June 4th. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. It's election day again in Hoboken. Voters are deciding a runoff contest for a council seat in the city's first ward. It's a significant race that could shift the balance of power on the nine-member council either for or against current mayor Ravi Bala and comes after neither of the two candidates, Paul Presenzano or Rafi Cordova, secured at least 50 percent of the vote during the general election. As Ted Goldberg reports, the campaigns have been full of mudslinging, that could spur an investigation once the votes are counted. Hoboken being Hoboken, it's, you know, try anything you can, win at all costs. That's how Paul Presenzano is reacting to allegations that one of his supporters is paying people to vote for him. The runoff election for the last seat on Hoboken City Council got a bit more salacious after the campaign behind candidate Rafi Cordova claims residents in this apartment building were given $50 to vote for his opponent. Cordova and Presenzano were the top two vote-getters during last month's election, but neither of them got half of the vote, prompting the runoff election. Some residents wanted to uh, come forward. Uh, they were nervous about retribution, and so we, uh, I helped them on their behalf submit a letter to the Attorney General, um, and, and you know we, we, we made it public because we wanted people to be aware. We've had nothing to do with it. Uh, we've been told, even from my opponent's side, that we have nothing to do with it. We've run a clean campaign. Just to be sure, Cordova's campaign sent a letter to the Attorney General's office asking to investigate. 
The woman accused of pulling the scheme is Anna Centrone, who told us last month, I vehemently deny paying anyone to vote, and I'm looking into filing a defamation suit against those who have made these false allegations. City council members in Hoboken are split on if they think these claims are legitimate or just last minute mudslinging. Everything about that story is just literally a made up story. I don't know what to believe coming coming uh, out of there. You know, I'm focusing on helping the residents uh, with respect to this particular issue. The opponent's supporters have a tendency in the last week of an election to just create awful allegations and don't really care about who they hurt along the way. I'm not saying Paul's coordinating it, but but you know when your supporters are out there uh, sowing discord and and you know adding confusion to the mix, uh, you know it, it, it makes me wonder. Once I understood even more clearly what the assertions were um, and how they were saying it was happening, they weren't consistent with what we've known to be what a paid-for vote operation actually looks like. Hoboken Mayor Ravi Bala has endorsed Cordova and would have majority support from council if he wins. Bala spokesman Rob Horowitz says Councilwoman Tiffany Fisher and Councilman Ruben Ramos are demonstrating that they will do or say anything to come to the rescue of the candidate they deem key to their own personal ambitions. They don't know any of the facts, yet are willing to smear Joe Quintero one of their council colleagues who has a well-earned reputation for honesty. Both candidates say they would welcome an investigation. If there is any mispropriety or anything wrong, there should be an investigation and things should happen uh, swiftly on that. People should want to get to the bottom of it because it's not the first time. It's happened time and again in Hoboken. And so we, uh, you know, who, whoever is uh, responsible should be brought to justice. The candidates say their first-term priorities are both focused on tenants. Housing justice, public safety, and quality of life issues. Specifically, um, I would like to define unconscionable uh, rent hikes, because uh, in Hoboken they're getting out of control. People are getting sometimes 20, 30, 40 percent increases. The first thing that we should uh, tackle is the rat situation. Uh, nobody wants to talk about a rat crisis, but at the end of the day, they're going to sleep right now for the winter. When they wake up, let's have a comprehensive plan. The results should be in shortly after 8 p.m. when polls close. In Hoboken, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. The Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster is being hit with a lawsuit from one of its former employees. Alice Bianco, a former surfer at the club, alleges she was repeatedly sexually harassed by her supervisor, then tricked into signing a non-disclosure agreement by the former president's personal lawyer, Alina Haba. The lawsuit filed in Middlesex County Superior Court includes allegations dating back to 2021 when Bianco herself was 21 years old. She's obtained a prominent New Jersey attorney, Nancy Erica Smith, to represent her case, who joins me now. Nancy Erica Smith, welcome to the show. Let me just ask you first, lay out for me what this lawsuit alleges on behalf of your client, Ali Bianco. This uh, alleges that Ms. Bianco was subjected to the worst kind of sexual harassment. We call it quid pro quo, meaning she was forced to actually perform sex acts in order to keep her job by the long-term food and beverage manager at Trump's uh, Bernardsville Golf Club. When another 
woman complained and you'll note that she complained repeatedly about sexual harassment at this club before writing a letter putting it in writing and she related that Allie was subjected to actually being forced to perform sex for keeping her job and protection as he called it when that letter that her coworker wrote became was hand delivered to Trump's personal staff and a lawyer wanted to conduct an investigation from his New York office Ali got a lawyer an experienced employment lawyer and she was almost immediately contacted by Alina Haba who is a member of the club and a lawyer who pretended to be her friend and said she was neutral and wanted to help her two good friends Ali and Donald Trump and she encouraged Ali to have a very poor relationship with her lawyer not to comply with her lawyer's complaints in texts she disparaged her experienced employment lawyer until that relationship failed and then she proceeded to get Ali to agree to a illegal non-disclosure agreement and various other terms that are very favorable to Donald Trump while pretending that she didn't represent Donald Trump and we all know that Alina Haba is Donald Trump's lawyer she sits next to him in court every day now in his, one of his many trials and so who does this uh, suit name is Alina Haba named is Mr Trump named uh, who's included the defendant is the golf club because the defendant was the employer who is a party to the agreement we hope that the ethics authorities in new jersey will look at this you can't defraud people you can't pretend you don't represent a party you can't encourage somebody to sign an illegal agreement and the agreement included that if uh my client ali violated the non-disclosure agreement which was illegal she owed all the money that they paid which was not much for this kind of sexual harassment and $1000 a day and you say yeah nancy you say illegal because new jersey as i understand it had banned ndas from employment uh places of employment of uh, several years ago thanks to Loretta Weinberg in 2019 New Jersey banned NDAs for discrimination harassment and retaliation claims they're unenforceable so uh, a provision that she owed Trump $1000 a day if she enforced it is blatantly illegal what is your client seeking and and where do you go from here because we know how a lot of these cases play out they tend to be lengthy and quite expensive many of my clients come to me because they don't want to be silenced by the very people who abuse them they don't want to live their lives afraid that if they talk about their own lives and their own abuse their abusers are going to be able to sue them so what my client wants is her voice back and to have the agreement voided she doesn't she, right now she doesn't have any interest in suing and going through that long process she just wants to be done with them she doesn't want to be silenced by the very people who put her in the position of being sexually harassed Nancy Erica and Smith she wants on other women to know so thank you Nancy Erica Smith on this latest lawsuit brought against the Trump National Golf Course in New Jersey Nancy thanks so much for your time thank you 
An Edna Man corrections officer is facing additional charges in connection with a violent incident that took place nearly three years ago at the state's only women's prison. Sergeant Matthew Fashan of Hackettstown is one of 15 prison employees indicted in the Edna Man case, in which inmates were allegedly assaulted in a brutal January 2021 overnight cell extraction, leaving two victims seriously injured. That resulted in a criminal investigation and Governor Murphy's decision to shut down and replace the prison. Fashan was initially charged with official misconduct and records tampering, but a superseding indictment handed up on November 17th adds new charges of conspiracy, aggravated assault, and tampering with public records, to name a few. The state attorney general's office alleges the 35-year-old purposely didn't record the forced removal of inmates and tried to deceive the Department of Corrections into believing the extraction was justified. Publicly released video showed officers punching, kicking, and pepper spraying the inmates. The 14 other indicted officers have all been suspended without pay and include employees up to the highest ranks, including a lieutenant and a major. In our Spotlight on Business report, even with recent stumbles in New Jersey's offshore wind programs, state leaders say they're fully committed to reaching wind power goals, moving forward with plans for the emerging industry despite a recent setback. Danish developer Orsted's decision to back out of two major wind farm projects here. The State Board of Public Utilities recently showed a vote of confidence in the program by requesting more offshore wind project proposals. For more on what the future holds, I'm joined by BPU President Christine Golsadovi. President Golsadovi, uh, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. Let me ask you about the state's overall goals for wind. It was a little over a year ago when the governor signed an executive order um, directing uh, this to ramp up by 2040. Um, and I'm wondering if Orsted's decision, despite the fact that the agency is moving forward with plans for offshore wind, I'm wondering how Orsted's decision to pull out here will affect our ability to get there. You know, as you said, the state is moving forward on our offshore wind goals. Um, the governor set the goal of 11 gigawatts, and that is the goal that we are moving towards. Um, and, you know, there, of course, you know, was a setback and we understand that, but that is not going to prevent New Jersey from taking advantage of this really transformational initiative that is offshore wind and realizing both the economic and environmental benefits that offshore wind is going to bring to New Jersey. You know, the recent announcement from the governor um, about moving up the next solicitation timeline is a demonstration of, you know, his commitment and my commitment and the commitment of the agency to move forward with offshore wind in New Jersey towards what, our goals. Yeah. What can you tell us about that timeline? This would be the fourth round out of five uh, to, to solicit these bids. When should we expect that to start? Um, yep. So we recently announced that we're moving that timeline up to the first part of 2024. Um, we don't have an exact date or, or, um, or month at this time, but we are moving as quickly as possible to open that next solicitation. Given your involvement with the state's energy master plan, um, the goals to reach, I believe it was 27% of electricity through wind by 2050. Should wind still be the linchpin in this plan? And does the state have any other choice? 
so, you know, absolutely wind, offshore wind is a cornerstone um, part of the energy master plan and the governor's goal of 100% clean energy. And yes, it should continue to be that part. I mean, offshore wind has such significant potential in terms of generation for energy. And so that is something that, you know, we are focused on as we move forward. We obviously are looking at the full energy portfolio uh, on, and all of our clean energy resources as we think about the goals of it from the energy master plan. But offshore wind is absolutely and will continue to be a cornerstone of our clean energy agenda. For folks who are uh, going to be customers or are customers here, what does this mean for what the future is going to look like, both for energy provided and also for you know what they can expect um, to have available to them for choices? Yeah, so I think the important thing to remember about offshore wind is that it is going to provide that clean energy generation, um, and it's providing that you know the, the generation to New Jersey to help power the homes and businesses, and uh, you know provide electricity for the people of New Jersey, and that's clean you know clean energy that doesn't have emissions, and so that's something that we want to really make sure that the residents of, of New Jersey know. Christine Golsadovi is the president of New Jersey's Board of Public Utilities. Christine, thanks so much. Thank you, Brianna. Turning now to Wall Street, the market rally appears stalled on the heels of fresh data showing the labor market is cooling. Here's how stocks closed today. Support for the Business Report is provided by Newark Alliance, which curates the Newark Holiday Festival, a collaborative calendar of holiday events in Newark's Arts and Education District. More details available at newarkholidayfestival.com. Council tasked with exploring the history and impact of slavery in New Jersey last night held its second ever public meeting with a focus on segregation, taking input from residents who shared family stories about that experience here in what was once known as the slave state of the North. As Melissa Rose Cooper reports, their accounts are helping the Reparations Council compile a report of recommendations and humanize the way slavery affects black lives today. The question that we often confront around the work here is why convene the New Jersey Reparations Council? And the answer is that although slavery shaped every aspect of New Jersey, too many people in our state believe that it never happened here and that racial inequality is not a New Jersey issue. But as you'll hear tonight, New Jersey's original sin of slavery and its lasting stain tell a very different story. Ryan Haygood of the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice kicking off the second public meeting of the New Jersey Reparations Council. For two years, members will study the history of slavery and its effects on the state's current racial landscape in an effort to improve various disparities within the Black community. The council will not only propose bold strategic policies to repair the enduring harm to Black people from slavery, but it will also answer this foundational question. And that is, what kind of reparative system does New Jersey need to build to invest in for Black people here to finally be free, to thrive, free to win? Housing inequity is one of the main issues the council says is proof of slavery's long-lasting impact. We have exclusionary zoning laws, which really worked through the police powers that each municipality have 
and and through home rule and New Jersey being a home rule state to ensure that um, the kinds of housing that would be affordable to blacks would not be built in those areas and that discrimination garden variety private discrimination and not allowing blacks to live in certain neighborhoods not allowing blacks to borrow um, not allowing blacks to take advantage of federal programs that made home ownership possible would be much more effective. New Jersey currently, um, according to the, the Civil Rights Project um, at UCLA, is the sixth most segregated school state in the country. Um, and that has very serious consequences. Even though New Jersey is known as being um, a state with very high educational levels, that isn't experienced equally um, by all of its students. And some of that harm comes as a result of the funding formulas that are true throughout the United States, but also in New Jersey, which link the amount of funding that schools get to property values in the school district. Maisha Simmons of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation also says where a person lives is linked to increasing gaps in health care. As a funder of the council, the foundation is clear in our stance that the time has come for New Jersey to create a shared understanding of the harms caused to Black New Jerseyans over the past four centuries and embark on a process to remedy those injustices. The Reparations Council plans to hold several additional public sessions before publishing its final reports on Juneteenth, 2025. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. And that does it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Have some water. Look at these kids. What do you see? I see myself. I became an ESL teacher to give my students what I wanted when I came to this country. The opportunity to learn, to dream, to achieve, a chance to belong and to be an American. My name is Julia Toriani Crompton and I'm proud to be an NJEA member. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. And I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.